Previously on Afterlives with Kara Cooney. So, Sphinx, we disagree. Yeah. I think it's Kafre. You say Khufu. I say Khufu. I don't, I don't discount the maybe it was originally Khufu and then Kafre recarved it or did something. And I don't discount that it was, that it's both of them. <laughs> both, yeah. Really? Yeah. Yeah. And like I, I, there was something and then, you know. Khufu is obviously putting his pyramid behind it to make it seem as if it is his. I think his. it would help if we knew, if we had, obviously we know it exists. We had Khufu's Valley Temple. Obviously, mm-hmm. it's under houses and stuff now. Mm-hmm. We had more statues of him and some more evidence to see kind of what else was going on there during Khufu's time. We mm-hmm. don't have a lot of that. No, so I think don't. that would help. No, it'd be great archaeology. If we had some some of that yeah. left. Yeah. But, okay. Welcome to Afterlives with Kara Cooney in which we discuss ancient Egyptian history and relevant current events that we think will be of interest to our audience. I am Kara Cooney, and I'm a professor of Egyptology at UCLA. This podcast is separate from my teaching and research roles at UCLA. In recent years, I've become active in communicating with the general public about the history of ancient Egypt through lectures, interviews, social media, books, and guest appearances. This podcast is my opportunity to take the kinds of deep dives into history that are not always possible in academic formats. Now we're going to jump forward like thousands of years. So we're going to Amarna. Amarna. Right to Amarna. Because this is where where people freak out again. I always feel, because these are the hot button topics, but I think as Egyptologists, we sometimes get sick of talking about them. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, anyone wants to talk about is tut. Or I've yeah. been seeing on Twitter with uh, Gal Gadot and the Cleopatra and everyone being like, I'm so sick of this Cleopatra story. Like, yeah. There's so many other interesting characters we could do. Why keep rehashing this story? Yeah. Because so she's a failure. Yeah. Yes. It's just misogyny. And I, well, and I think just movies nowadays, we're just redoing... Mm-hmm. old movies again and again and mm-hmm. again yeah reboot um, reboot reboot so i think with the amarna i always am a little like like we talk about it a lot but it's still always there's still so many unanswered questions it's like hard not you just so easy to fall into its allure and get caught up into you know a variety of questions about it so all right go which one is it we're going to start with did akhenaten create was he the inventor of Nazis? Oh, yeah. I, I hit that one. Yep. I hit that yeah, one hard. Yeah, a lot hard. of these were from, or, you know, you talk about your book. Isn't so. that funny? It's like my book is the the top things the top that Egyptologists Egyptology. argue about. That's really funny. Um, it's like, I'm like, where are the third rails and how can I lick them? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it depends on... Well, well, what, what are well? My first thing is yeah, like, go ahead, go what ahead. is monotheism? Yeah, you get into definitions. Yeah, it is the worship and of one like, god. They would have even thought about it. Yes, in that way, like we think about it today, right? And you can talk about. I mean, it's the first time, so it's not going to be pure, pure, pure. And even the Yahweh monotheism isn't pure, pure, pure. And yes. having grown up Roman Catholic, let me tell you, it's not pure. Always my question. There's when, a Trinity and a whole yes, hell of a bunch I of saints. Asking my dad, being like isn't it polytheistic? Cause it's like, yeah. And my dad being like, well, not, not exactly. They're all the same person. Like they're all the same yeah. juju. Like, and me being like, what? like, this doesn't make any sense. And yeah. And then, you know, Jesus always described as the son 
of Christ. And he's separate. He's not he's together separate. with him. And then who's this Holy Spirit and business? Yes. And Mary is there as a divinity. She's a divinity. Mm-hmm. The way she works within the Roman Catholic oh. or Orthodox scheme of things, she is a divinity. So I think that's important to remember too. Like you can have a definition for something. Christianity is not monotheistic in some ways. In some ways it is humans are involved it's never going to be nice and neat and tidy it's always going to be right. messy and right. confusing and not fit that definition ever exactly the monotheistic part is confusing because i think we conflate whether or not there's more than one god yeah. with the fanaticism of a religion that is exclusive mm-hmm. and rejects all others mm-hmm. and you would think oh all religions are exclusive and reject all others but in antiquity that is not the case yep. And you have somebody like Herodotus in the fifth century going to Egypt and saying, oh, our Zeus is there, Amun-Ra. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And seeing no problem with it, seeing no problem with going to a temple and worshiping that divinity. It's not going to reflect badly upon him. Like your God's not going to smite you because no. you acknowledge the no. fact that there's another one. So while Christianity in practice is not monotheistic, is rather polytheistic, it is, however, in its many manifestations of Catholicism, Orthodox, Evangelical, whatever, very exclusive Mm -hmm. to one way of worshiping God, our way or the highway. And if you do not follow it, there will be a punishment of some kind. Those two things are conflated. And I'm sure religious scholars could tell us exactly, I'm sure there's a term for, or or a brand of study or some way, and you can, you can um, comment upon this uh, and and let us know. But um, the monotheism question, if we're taking it as, is there just one God? Akhenaten tells us there's just mm-hmm. one God, have, but it, yeah. it takes him a while to get there, right? So I have an excerpt from the hymn mm-hmm. where he says, you are, you know, how manifold it is what thou hast made thou. Um, oh, soul God. Like who soul there is God. Mother, soul right? God. Who there, yeah. did create the earth according to your desire. Mm-hmm. Um, blah, blah, blah whatever is an earth going upon its feet yeah so they keep talking about you know you're the sole god but then we have other instances where it's like Aten as Ra yeah being you know used in Ray Harakti and Ra Harakti. the word Ra is yeah. used Ra Harakti is used at the beginning mm-hmm. um, Ma'at is mentioned yeah. but is it Ma'at the goddess or Ma'at the concept awesome. of truth and justice um, and people will say oh but Ray Harakti is there well he was there at the beginning but then he's not there yeah. later on. And Ma'at is there throughout. But is it Ma'at the divinity or Ma'at? But then like Christianity, you could say, okay, so maybe it's all part of the same juju. Yeah. There's different manifestations of this, this singular divine presence or something. I, I And it's they in humans, our brains are so little and small, we have to say yeah. like this or like yeah. that because yeah. we can't fully conceptualize the awesomeness of a god the thing i love about akhenaten's religious experiment is that within the short 17 years of his reign you can see an attempt to purify his vision Mm -hmm. he starts with one thing with what he has available to him the assets he has available to him and that is the polytheistic system with which he can work and he includes some of them and focuses and prioritizes on Mm -hmm. solar divinities Shu. Ray Harakti, hot gods, any solar divinities, yeah. right? And then as it goes on, he's like, no, I must exclude that. Keep and I must narrows, cut narrows, this narrows, out. Narrows, yeah. It is almost like you're looking at the invention of a religion, of course, which it is, but like, like say it's Christianity, mm-hmm. where people are like, oh my God, we've hit upon this new thing. This is wonderful. And then the arguments start. Well, because it's like Jesus didn't know what was going on when it was happening. 
you know, no. it was after he, but, but, and then know, you have that all the disciples then had their own kind of ideas about where it should go. And they were arguing, debating. And is Jesus part of God? Yeah. Is Jesus separate from God? What is the Holy Spirit? Do we put Ooh, them all the together? Is it monolatry? Is it not? It, how, is it the yeah. Trinity? And wars are fought over this. And then you have schisms. Mm-hmm. And and people are constantly saying, re, one-upping themselves and reinventing this Christianity to say that, no, ours is the one true one. We are more pure. We are more pure. And this is over thousands of years, of course, since the beginning of Christianity. But to see it within 17 yeah. years is awesome yep. because you can see that process probably you with have this. So, like, he has supreme power. Yes. And, and no one can, like, say, no, like, I it's, agree with you. It's king top down. Yeah. But the cool thing about it, too, and what one could argue, and this is like a dissertation, you know, th- this kind of work, you could say this is led by a king. Mm-hmm. And the the king starts it, but then as he empowers his elites, names people as high priest, Mm -hmm. names people to help him write the hymns and to to send the hymns out and the good news or whatever, or to put temples up, he has to empower other people. Those other people are then going to be initiated into this new religious system, system. And they're going to come back at the king and they're going to say, my Lord, this is not pure. And then there's going to be a discussion and a debate that's happening in the later reign that you didn't see as much in the earlier, or it's a different discussion and debate than you saw earlier. So it's, it's not just one lone mind coming up yeah. with these things. He didn't have like a he can't. vision. In 17 years to get this much done, he's got to empower mm-hmm. and delegate. And he does do that. But then it, it seems to be this swirl of interest in trying to find what the kernel of this religion is. And so in other words, what I'm, the, your question is problematic because it's a moving target. And I well, I think it's problematic too, because it's like maybe for Akhenaten, it was this, or for a select group of people, it was, this was our Aten. Right. But it's like, if you look like much broader, how many people like other, say lower elites or other people like bought into the system, even knew it was like going on. Yeah. And, like a random farmer in middle, well, middle, middle Egypt's bad because that's where Marno was. Okay, yeah, so in the yeah. Delta, yeah. Like, how much did they know was really happening? Were they probably still probably much. just worshiping their normal yes. lo- local deities yeah. and yeah. have their household shrine and like going This is a business. very elite, high intellectual discussion that most people are excluded from. And one could argue that that was the point. Mm-hmm. That's the point. Well, yeah. and like, was Akhenaten divinized? Because as yeah. king, he should be. A He's god. the son of God. He so names himself you, as such. How you monotheistic? Yeah, but I, it's same similar. So again, the monotheism is a red herring, in my opinion. Yeah. It's whether or not it's too restrictive. It is. It is, and it it takes out Even certain. Today, yes, it it takes out certain religions respect. today where it, for yeah. which it does not work. Yeah. Um, and then only Islam and and Judaism are really going to count. Mm-hmm. Um, Christianity can't count. Mormonism can't really count. Um, how are you to understand it? But um, what was the, what did you say before that? Um, about Just the, what the elites were doing, right. how you know inclusive it was. But yeah. I think our, your point is that it was exclusive purposefully. Yes. Um, and you know, that I was saying that Akhenaten should be divinized and should be a God himself. And the point is the fanaticism, and the exclusive know he was going nature. Names from temples, yes, but we know it wasn't every temple. Yes, selective in which ones he hit. Yeah, 
So I suppose then you could ask if you're, you could do a, a systematic experiment and say, which religions are iconoclastic? Mm -hmm. Which ones feel they need to remove the names of other divinities? And in so doing, you can then prove which ones are the, the most exclusive to a particular way of worship and representation of their divinity. And that's more what we're trying to get at than yeah. whether or not it's monotheistic. That's obvious. He says it. Well, and I think when people ask the question by the end, if it's monotheistic, yeah. they have an agenda with yeah. why they're asking that question. Yeah. It doesn't really matter if it was or if it wasn't. They're looking for this root. Everyone's always looking for the origins of whatever, something, yeah. Yeah. anything. And so there's, they're looking for, I think, from a very Judeo-Christian idea of like this root connecting it back to Egypt or this antiquity. And so you, and so in that vein, of course, you and I have both read mm -hmm. a shit ton of Egyptology where they say, oh no, this isn't monotheistic at all. It's, um, there are other divinities there. This is not meant to be monotheistic. And what we're doing is taking our own definition and saying that our monotheism is superior, that mm -hmm. our monotheism has nothing to do with this Akhenaten mumbo jumbo. And we're prioritizing our own monotheism like and saying, yeah, that ours is pure uh, and saying that this is not what the ancient Egyptians intended, even though uh, it's, it's, you know, by the end of the reign, it's very clear that this is, this is indeed what they are moving towards. Mm -hmm. And I would argue that is because it's not the monotheism we're looking for. The monotheism we're looking for is the monotheism that's all about the truth that we want to find. Mm -hmm. And because this isn't the truth that we want to find, we say, oh, no, no, not monotheistic. No monotheism to see here, yeah. folks. Move along. And, and that's it. We just, we just denigrate it as something that's uh, nothing connected to the mm -hmm. religions we follow today. And I think, I mean, like you said, it's 17 years. It'd be like if Christianity, like, after Jesus died, if like they just stopped after said, like, yeah. it would never have become anything. No, no, it never would have become Christianity at all. No, so I think it's really hard to say anything about it because it's just such a short blip in. Like obviously, it had ramifications, and people talk write hundreds of books about the ramifications yeah. of the Martyr period on yeah. religion. Yeah, but you know, it was just a, a little experiment. Uh, we don't really get to see the full kind of outcomes of it i would add to it if it kept going there was an afterlife of mm -hmm. sorts and you could read you can read texts like the the leiden hymn and i'd have to look up the exact number and we can put this in the show notes but it's it says all gods are three mm -hmm. amun patah and ra yeah. and i think it's ra that's that's used and amun is the spirit Ra is I it, it separates it up Patah is the body and and it's it, essentially they're all manifestations they're, of something well they're all parts of the way it's then they say all gods are three and then they say which are parts of one being which implies that all gods are one yeah and then you get this discussion of henotheism and the idea that a polytheistic system can believe that all divinity has a source of one um it is the all uh, and, and many people look at 
Egyptian religion in that way or yeah, other polytheistic religions that way? To give them like forms to understand it in aspects of itself. But one wonders if something like the, the thinking that's in the Leiden hymn, all gods are three, Amun, Re, and Ptah, and then putting them into one in the text, if that would have been possible without the mm-hmm. experimentation that Akhenaten went through. I don't think it would have. Yeah. No, I... It's, it's a Ramesid hymn. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, 50 years after, um, approximately, I, I'd have to check, but about, you know, 50 to 70 years after Akhenaten's experiment. Yeah. So it's pretty cool. So going full circle, do we call him the inventor? Uh, Akhenaten? Yeah. Um, I think he... I think we want to yes. pass the term, maybe, too. I get, you don't like it? I don't like Who calls him inventor? Uh, no, not inventor. Oh, inventor monotheism. of monotheism. Yeah. I don't know. Jordan. And I think like you said, it's never just, it wasn't just him. Like obviously maybe he was the yeah the push, but he needed a lot of people probably in on it. I, I think that inventor implies that there's always a first that we can find. That's, and I that's don't. That's my issue is we're always looking for these origins of everything. Right. This is the first toothbrush. This yeah. is the first time people used yeah. such and people such. Settle? Yeah. And it's like the more you look into it, it's, there wasn't ever, a, there obviously was a first, but that it's, this continuously happened and like you could argue maybe that you could even trace it back probably to like t4 that the solar deities become much more focused and emphasized so it's like not it's not just like pulling it totally out of thin air and that it's kind of his grandpa and his dad were also kind of doing mm-hmm. this and it's, so you can keep pushing it back further and further if you really wanted to and and there are times like the old kingdom when you have the invention yeah. of the pyramid when you don't have this intellectualism written down because it is so exclusive mm-hmm. that you would not commit it to writing but it seems that these ideas had been percolating in the egyptian system for some time the reason I wouldn't say that he, you know, I wouldn't put into writing. Akhenaten was the inventor of monotheism. I wouldn't do that because it prioritizes and elevates written culture mm-hmm. over verbal culture. And there are many places in the ancient world yeah. that could have invented or come up with this idea of there being one source of divinity and work towards that, but in a no non-written mm-hmm. verbal way. Yeah, I agree. So, yeah. Agreed. Question number four. Oh my God. <laughs> this one is a tricky one. Okay. Who was Smenkaren? Oh God. And never, never run. Um, so it's funny because I was um, I was on a panel for the American Research Center in Egypt some five years ago with Aidan Dodson, uh-huh. Salima Akram, and Jim Allen. I have, about, yes. about who was Smenkare? Was I that? Have, yeah, well, I have Dodson and Allen's arguments. Oh, you do? Well, yeah. go for it. Okay. Well, okay. So Dodson argues, okay, maybe we should do a, a preface. Okay, yeah. So sorry. Akhenaten reigns, Akhenaten dies, and then we have some evidence of who reigned after Akhenaten before Tut. There's some names that pop up, some titulary that pops up, um, and it's who these people are. Did people change their names? Were they other people and then changed their names and ruled? Were they you know, co-regencies with Akhenaten, right. they soul reigns by themselves. And the names are yes. Ankepure Nefru Nefruaten. Mm-hmm. I'm so sorry. It's a long name. Yes. Ankepure Nefru Nefruaten. And then the other one, or it's Nefru Nefruaten Ankepure. I think it's in that order. I, I, and then there's Ankepure Smenk 
Carré, yes. right? They both have Ankh. They both have Ankh Kepruré yes. in them, which is highly unusual, mm-hmm. very strange. And so somebody like Nicholas Reeves believes they are the same person, yes. but with a name change, Yes, right? And Nefer Nefruaten, for the first one, is connected to Nefertiti because Nefertiti took on the name Nefer Nefruaten Nefertiti. Yes. Uh, when she was great royal wife, right? To Akhenaten. And then all of a sudden this Nefer-Nefruaten connected to Ankhepru-Ray shows up as a king, Mm -hmm. potentially a Mm co-king, maybe while Akhenaten was alive. And there are texts that have a year two for this Nefer-Nefruaten. And I remember in that panel at Arcee that uh, Aidan Dodson says, uh, I remember him saying, she's not Smengare, she's not yes. Smengare. And, and with the, you know, he, his mind is set. Yeah. And, um, and I know that Nicholas Reeves, his mind is yeah. set. So we have this Smengare figure right. popping up after. Right. And some people argue that they were either a brother or son of Akhenaten. Right. Who then went on to rule. So like an an older male and Smenkare has a wife married so, to Merit Otten. Yeah. We have them depicted in a tomb together. Um so we know a male mm-hmm. in the royal family. And we have Dodson thinks maybe served as a co-regent with Akhenaten because there's that one calcite jar from Cut's tomb that has both their names next to each other. Mm-hmm. But this could have also been a reuse element, but yeah. yeah or but like yeah. trying to attach himself to Akhenaten and putting their names together. Um, that, but then we have... Because after Smenkare, Tutankhamun rules. Yes. Yes. And then James Allen argues that Nefer-Nefer-Aten ruled first. Mm-hmm. And that Nefer-Nefer-Aten... Was likely Nefertiti. Nefertiti. Yeah. I think some people have argued even Merit-Aten. Yeah, but why? Or there's this, Give like, me the evidence that for that. Like, a, That's the French school. And I'm like, yeah. where is this evidence? There's this daughter who's like, has the nefer 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 in her name as well mm-hmm. but then smenkari ruled after mm-hmm. nefertiti mm-hmm. as just a male and then you have reeves who thinks they were all nefertiti right right so, and i'm kind of more on the reeve side and then mark gabold thinks it was smenkari first and then nefer nefer but that was Maradon. yes that's the french school yeah. and and um dimitri Labourie yeah. follows that school and evidence that they're separate people so there's a box from Tut's tomb that lists Akhenaten and Merit-Aten and Nefer-Nefer-Aten as separate people mm-hmm. so you know maybe Merit-Aten and Nefer-Nefer-Aten are not the same person I'm down with that which is I'm down with too <laughs> I think was um and then we obviously have other stuff from Tut's tomb mentioning Nefer-Nefer-Aten that talks about her being desired by her husband or effective for her husband being mm-hmm. Akhenaten. So it mm-hmm. seems very clear that it's Nefertiti. And that's Nefer Neferaten without the Nefertiti name yes. appended to Just it. And yeah. yeah. So it keeps it very vague. Yeah, it is very Which vague. maybe was done purposefully. Mm, yes. Yes. To kind of not, you know. And for somebody who studies female power, it works very well for some of my theories that females have to become something else and have to masculinize, masculinize in order to take power. So somebody like Hatshepsut, for instance, has to change her given birth name and become Hatshepsut, who was united with Amun, mm-hmm. and then masculinizes her image and, and does so maybe sooner than she would have liked in her reign. But 
that when women rule, they have to change to fit the patriarchal system that they are a part of. And they have to leave their their younger feminine self behind. They have to, as they move into a chrome if you like, mm-hmm. masculinize instead and take on an alternative persona. And so from my perspective, the fact that we can't find Nefertiti in the Ankhepru race Menkare, it works. Yeah. No, I have no problem with that. She wouldn't she want to be found. Yeah. No, she wants to become something else. The fact that she has a wife, if that's her, mm-hmm. is it's also like a subterfuge. It's it's a way of gaming the and it's system. Her daughter, so it kind of mm-hmm. works, right? Doesn't yeah. It? And Hatshepsut used her own daughter as a not as a wife formally, but as the female. Yeah. The yeah. Female element of the kingship. Yeah, yeah absolutely, yeah. absolutely. So so all of these things work for me. Am I a hundred percent right? No idea. Yeah. Um, but then okay, so you think. Maybe it's all Nefertiti. Yes. Yes. I think I'm more that Nefertiti was Nefer Neferatan and Swankare was a different male. Yeah. Because yeah. What, who's the KB55 mummy? Uh, I don't use mummies for these things. And I don't for a reason. <laughs> because mummies ah. mummies are never going to... Well, the KB55 mummies, I mean, everyone says it's Akhenaten, right? But it's too young. Not necessarily. It's like 20 something. And aging these things. Oh, I know. I talked to a bioarchaeologist and they're like, aging these mummies is so problematic. And if you trust the DNA study, it's Tut's father. Yeah. So I try not to base anything on a mummy that is not identified. That's true. Because we don't know. Yeah. We don't know. So what about the stuff, the other argument of the stuff from obviously we know a lot of the burial goods in Tut's tomb weren't mm. originally made for him. Mm. And the one argument that the inner coffin looks a little different yeah. facially. And has weird wig lappets that yeah. are kind of covered up and may they may even have modified mm-hmm. parts of the headdress that may have had more female elements. So you're thinking maybe it was Nefertiti's and not Yes. And and this is if he were saying a male, another male. And this is stuff that Nick Reeves has published, yeah. even for the mask. So he argues that the entire Thanks. set, yeah. the entire coffin set of Tutankhamun was made for Nefer-Neferuaten Ankhepru-Re, and i.e. Nefertiti. And that you can argue this because the they tried to, and they tried to modify things like on the mask, they mm-hmm. covered over the holes that were pierced fully in the ear and they put little gold foil on them um, and, and changed you other. The, I remember we were, when you we were can there, see those little things. See, no, on the back where it was like, a cartouche that you can like make gold like smudged out this is a huge you could see like another sign underneath of it um the other sighting the, the so you should google and we'll put this in the show notes but if you google nicholas reeves and mask of tunankaman you'll find an article that was vetted by the likes of um dieter arnold mark gabold and i think some other egyptologists who are pretty big hitters who looked at the cartouches, particularly on the shoulders of the mask, the the solid gold mask with the glass inlay. And on this cartouche, you can see fragments or or fragments, the wrong word, um, traces Mm -hmm. of an older inscription that was rubbed out of the gold because gold is very, as you say, super soft, super super malleable. And that a new name and a new cartouche, shorter cartouche was put in its place. And the the argument for the mask, for the canopic equipment, for the whole so many pieces in that tomb were that they belong to Nefertiti as a 
co-ruler, co-king with Akhenaten. And then when he died, she became more powerful than you can possibly imagine and and then wanted her own new set mm-hmm. built instead. Yep. So yeah, I, I'm I'm down with that. So, I really am. So you you're kind of convincing me more now, actually. <laughs> but I'm but, but you like, know so we can we'll always find new things. Never never out into Spinkari just to solidify her full. I think the Neferneferwatten was associated to. with her as queen, and then she, as co co as co-regent queen co regent without yeah. power in her own and then right. She, she became Spinkari as solely solely. Yeah, and you know one could even do, and and I haven't really looked into this fully, so other people can think about it, but um, Semenech to make effective or mm-hmm. to embellish. Mm-hmm. Isn't it often associated with female elements? Hmm. Um, I have to, I, now I need, I'll need. i have to look. It would be interesting to look at this name and see if one could find any things in there that are, yes, like, mm, that are more mm. feminine in some ways. Like, like you could look at Hatshepsut's given throne name <laughs> that ostensibly she and her priests arrive at in some sort of initiatory moment of this is what the gods say I should be called. And she's Mat Ka-Ra. And there is a clear, not that Mat doesn't appear in other people's names, but you can make an argument for this being perfect for a feminine Mm -hmm. ruler. Um, That she is the the soul of Ma'at, of Rey. That that, that, it, it works for a feminine queen king yeah. female yeah, king to be more gendered versus yeah. yeah and so i wonder if one could try to make such an argument with you don't see that no popping up ever no so and never never rotten never never td yeah um i don't know if you see a lot of males with nefer in there you do yeah yes. nefer is yeah. huge nefer is huge um old kingdom middle kingdom um sure. But Nefer, no, no, but Nefer Neferuaten is very feminine mm-hmm. um, it, it, as a beauty. Yeah. And Semenech, to beautify, mm-hmm. to embellish, could have a similar sort of meaning, but a more, with a kind of masculine edge, potentially. Mm-hmm. And if it is Nefertiti and she's got a wife, at least in one tomb, right? Yeah. And that tomb could have been recut and reused, and that woman could be there for some other person and like oh just put in the new name i don't want to say that that's impossible um there's not a whole lot of evidence for this wife except for a tomb that in my opinion could have been recarved and that one um um, in other words that could have been a co-regency scene yeah right and then and then she gives they give that to the daughter and then pull her forward to be the main um, king limestone where it's i think people either say it's tut and um Akasin Amun mm-hmm. or Smenkare and Meridot, that one scene. But I think also people think it's fake. That one where he's leaning oh. on his little crutch oh, right. thing and like holding um, out. Right. Some people say that's Men's Smenkare. I know which one you tight. mean. Some people say it's fake. So. Um, the, like the, the I'm not going to get involved other, in that one. That's like the only other like possible yeah. picture or depiction of them. And so again, as I always tell you guys, right? Is this the research question we should be asking? Because if you can't ever really yes. answer it, 
then maybe it's not the research question that you should be asking. Now, I'm not saying you don't touch it and entertain it and hypothesize as we've just done. But then what's the most interesting thing about this question is that we're dealing with a king that we know very little about, that has no personal information or hardly any about him or her. And it is, this king is shrouded in mystery and then we get Tutankhamun right away. Why is that? Why are they trying to obfuscate the actual politics that are happening and who is related to whom? And what does that say about Egyptian kingship? And to me, that's much more interesting than any of these other questions. Yeah, yeah. But, but we should entertain that it could be Nefertiti. And the more you call somebody an idiot or, or somebody who you know, is writing novels or engaging in all of this hypothetical BS, it's not. It's just, it's trying to figure out well, what the best conclusion to something might be. It's a fun mystery because there's mm-hmm. you know, all this little hints of- But it's meant to be a mystery. And it's like, how do you put them all together to make the most convincing- It's invented from the beginning by the Egyptians to be as unclear Mm -hmm. and confusing as possible because they didn't want us to Mm -hmm. know. Oh yeah, well, they were erasing them, right? They wanted to- So the last thing I'll say about this is think of when, um, (laughs) think of of Kim Jong-un in North Korea Mm -hmm. and how people are always hypothesizing that he's dead. Yes. And if he were dead, right. And if he were dead, then, oh, his sister is really ruling, but she doesn't want anyone to know. And so, or the, this guy is ruling and they're being super hush hush about it. Yes. When you have a very strong megalomaniacal, rather crazy ruler, and that ruler has locked shit down and tortured people and done all kinds of things. And I'm not saying Akhenaten necessarily did these things, but those graveyards are telling. But if you have that ruler and then all of a sudden that ruler is gone, and you need to shore up power. You are going to obfuscate. You're going to veil who's actually got it. You're going to be very crafty about how you have to be, about how you set the next person up so you can shore up power for as long as possible to hold off the dam of all the elites who now, when they realize that that power is gone, are going to come flooding in and make you pay. Yeah. And so that is what Smenkare is teaching us. That is where we need to look. And those are the comparisons we need to make. Boom. (laughs) But the mystery remains unsolved. Last question. Do you want to guess? I feel like on the journey we've been on, can you guess what the last question is? Well, there's no Exodus questions. No. Um, I was trying to pick um, what's Amarna related. Okay. I mean, the Exodus is a big one. And and I'm probably emailed at least once a week was this person the this of the exodus and so that happens all the time and i hit on that in good kings too so you can you can look um for amarna um not monotheism more recent thing i don't know that's two. Oh, of course and this is the nick reeves um hypothesis yes of course, Nick Reeves's hypothesis that who was the original or intended right recipient or owner of right who the tomb in which Tut was later interred. Yes. So, um, and this connects to what we were just talking about. It connects but, to this Menkare yeah. question, of course, and the Nefertiti Aten and all of these things. Yeah. So, the idea is is that if Nefertiti 
became the next king and changed her name from Neferneferuaten Ankepure to Ankepure Smenkare, mm -hmm. then she created new burial equipment, abandoned the burial equipment that they, she had made. They left Amarna. Left they, Amarna. Whatever tombs were being made there, they returned back to Thebes. To and the old capitals of Memphis and Heliopolis and other places, but their burial ground at the Valley of the Kings was was resumed resumed to be buried there and that smenkare was buried um in the valley of the kings and that when tutankhamun was buried in a rush job the one could argue that the tomb that was being prepared for him in the western valley potentially mm -hmm. was taken over by i mm -hmm. and that they needed a tomb. Fast. They needed a tomb fast. They needed burial equipment fast. So they reused the burial equipment left by. So they said, "Who's Menkare?" Well, no, no, not who's Menkare. Like, who's who's on Kepure Neferneferaten? Yeah. Took that burial equipment, redid that for Tut, yeah. and then went to the tomb of Smenkare, Went to the front um, hallway, opened up that front hallway in front of the blind or the well room and put his burial equipment in that front hallway and piled up all kinds of shit, made other side rooms um, that you wouldn't make in a royal tomb. And it's a, Tutankhamun is known for being a very strange shape architecturally as a royal tomb. Yeah, okay, so let's pause and for then, a second. But, but, but yeah. that means that Tutankhamun is buried in the, according to Nicholas Reeves, in the front hallway of Smenkare's tomb, or whoever ruled previously yes. to Tutankhamun. Yeah, of a tomb already used. And none of Smenkare's burial equipment has yet been found. Mm -hmm. And that's weird. Mm -hmm. And so that's another sort of- But unless if you're, yeah, yeah. Because every other king's burial equipment, little little shopties here, little bits of this or that, little pieces of a figurine of this little name here, something's always found when a tomb has been ransacked. Yeah. Smenkar race is not. Yes, that's true. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, there's just that one calcite jar. In Tut's tomb. But it's in Tut's tomb. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Which may, his tomb, maybe. Right. Or, or there too. But no art market pieces, yeah, nothing showing up in a museum. Um, okay, so when Nicholas Reeves came up with this, how long ago was it? Seven years ago? Yeah, and like he's published more recently on a lot of the art mm -hmm. from the tomb. And how the back wall, the, the burial yeah. chamber back wall was redone because yeah. that back wall would have been the blind mm -hmm. of the tomb before. So yeah, let's go through all the evidence. Right. So the first is that the tomb turns to the right when you yes. enter. Yes. Which is typical of... A, a queen's tomb. Yeah. Yeah. So... In the 18th dynasty. In the 18th dynasty. So whoever it originally was originally a queen... Or a, or a female king, he would argue, because Smenkare, this is in the Valley of the Kings, yeah. it's for and Hatshepsut, it's buried in the Valley of the Kings, female king. So a female king mm -hmm. gets a right turn. Does Hatshepsut have a, Hatshepsut's tomb is, right it's a right turn? Mm -hmm. Okay, That's the only other like comparison. Okay, yeah. okay. It's a tricky one. But then if you right argue, turn. well, then we get to the whole argument of where, where was Hatshepsut, because if it was like where T1 was then put later on, right. it's a male, typical male. If it was her tomb when she was queen, and then she yeah, because she hasn't yeah has exactly, and then, and then you mean her tomb as queen is a right is a right but. turn, and and that would mean that if Smenkare 
if it's a right turn and that's a king's tomb, it's weird. Mm-hmm. And it's more associated with a queen's tomb. But unless it was that there was this 18th dynasty tomb that had been started for a queen. And when they moved back from Amarna, yeah. they needed a tomb. Yeah. And this was the most complete. Yeah. And they just were like, well, someone died. We need to make this work. Right. And I think all this stuff blew up before you even became a grad student mm-hmm. at UCLA, right? He released an article like recently about the art because once the the really high death images came out, mm-hmm. but all the other stuff was before now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so we have that. We have. We can talk, I guess, about the scanning. Yeah. Of the possible <laughs> missing chambers, which everyone debates about yeah so <clears throat> hints of doors possibly <laughs> hints of other rooms uh the scanning is like the red herring here because no egyptologist that i know is a specialist of reading radar ground penetrating radar and even knows what's going yeah. on and, and having even those specialists don't agree no completely on it and having them. talked with radar specialists and and my husband mm-hmm. is a, apparently a radar specialist, which I didn't know until he told me. <laughs> I'm like, wait, you can read <laughs> what you radar? Doing? What? Um, and so he's he told me how reading radar is um, is not a clear cut situation, and that it it's um, much more. He calls it a Rorschach test. Mm-hmm. It's when you're looking at it and you're reading it. If you're working in a particular environment um and you've worked in that environment or you're used to looking for certain things it's the the reader of the radar can get a certain feeling in the same way that did you read that article about how there are certain jobs that are are really hard to train for like those people that murder the chicks you know and they have to decide whether or not a chick a baby a baby chicken chicken. that's just that's because they have this conveyor belt yeah it's, it's really macabre and horrible if you eat chicken, which I do. Um, you you get all the little chicks coming down the conveyor belt and you have all these people that look at their genitalia oh, just and know and instantly have to know, is it male or female? And they're very close and you just have to kind of go with, no, this is, this is male, this is female. And it's the way you learn to do that is with a kind of gut feeling or you just know it when you know it or experience exactly and they throw the males to be ground into some i don't know what and then the females get to live on to live another day i know it's brutal but this is a job yes to murder the baby chicks and i think that reading radar is like the genital identification (laughs) of the baby chicks at the slaughterhouse and so it's um the guy who read the radar first was a very skilled radar expert named Watanabe. Oh, I don't know his expert. first name, yeah. but I know his last name is Watanabe. Yeah. And Watanabe read the radar. Watanabe is now deceased. Hmm. Um, may he rest yeah. in peace. But he didn't do a very professional report. And I don't think he was paid to do a publishable professional report. Yeah. He just did a very quick report and said, this is this, this is that. And people seized upon that unprofessional report with some bad English and other things. And like, he doesn't know what he's talking about, but Watanabe knows, knew what he was talking about. And Watanabe said that there were signatures for organics Mm -hmm. behind in, in the radar that he looked at. He's first, he said there were voids in two directions, one to the West West. behind Mm -hmm. the back wall and one to the to the north yeah. is it north okay yeah. uh, to the left when you go in right mm-hmm. that there was another signature for a void and within those voids south, he saw south, south, is south it south west. yeah 
It's when you go in straight, ahead, straight ahead and then to the left. Straight ahead and then is yeah, south. Would be south. Yeah. Okay. I'm horrible with directions. I can yes. never find my way. In my head, yeah. <laughs> Thank God. And um, and within those voids, there were signatures for organics, like wood or a human body or whatever, and signatures for metals. And and I was able to get this radar mm-hmm. um, from Nick, who's a friend, and I shared that radar with people at Caltech and uh, JPL here in in California. Pasadena, to be precise. And um, <clears throat> they corroborated mm-hmm. what Watanabe had said. But since then, as you know, mm-hmm. as the world knows, multiple radar tests have been commissioned oh. and performed and publicized as having found nothing. 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 No void, no signatures, just, just nothing. Yeah. And so that has put a rest to the entire discussion mm-hmm. because what the hell do we know about radar so if i were yeah you can't normal people can't no. that and say oh well actually <laughs> no and if i didn't know nick so well and if i didn't have such a close relationship to somebody who understood radar mm-hmm. i think i would be one of those egyptologists who are like oh my god it's a fantasy yeah. it's what you want to see you're you're being led along you're so stupid there's no evidence of anything now i'm not saying that there's necessarily 100% a tune there but but I'm saying this that it should be investigated. Well, and I think it should be investigated. The hints of openings mm-hmm. that you can see very clearly mm-hmm. in the in the the wall, especially mm-hmm. the west wall. The reason like Nick, the definitely the tomb was meant to be bigger. Yes. And to say that, like, okay, maybe there's another chamber or they were working on something and then they had to put up a wall. Well, here's how it works. Finished and- so the reason Nick was able to see it at all is he got scans from Factum Arte, which is a Spanish company that does mm-hmm. these super high-res yeah. scans of, of wall scenes. And then they do investigations of that work. And Nick got the Factum Arte things and he's like, oh my God, there's a line there yeah, on that wall. Look at the line. And the line is lines. It's not really a door necessarily, but it lines up with the the hall that's behind mm-hmm. it. So you can see that this was a long hall yep. and that there was a part of the hall that they decided to broaden. To make the burial chamber. To make the burial chamber fit the shrines and the sarcophagus and the coffins. But that line where the, where the, the width originally was, yeah. a narrow width is still visible, at least in one place. Yeah, the original where it turned right and then would have been a hall. Yes down to then go right to a deeper barrel chamber or something and the cool part this is this is super cool is uh do you know who else thought all of these things before nick reeves howard carter, howard carter because the getty research institute or conservation institute gci was doing analysis of the pigments and there as they do right as any conservation outfit would do they'll be like oh they're using red ochre here there's some realgar here look at the, this has got just carbon black but they're doing a, a scientific analysis of all of the pigments and they get to a certain part and they're like wait this gray there's a gray paint here and it's a 1930s like 20s 30s gray paint and here's a yellow an ochre yellow that's like a 1920s 30s they're like these are modern paints what the hell and they started to investigate and they look underneath those modern paints and they see thick plaster yeah and and they see that somebody has taken a sledgehammer to a certain part of the wall mm-hmm. to in, to make a sounding yep. very roughly 
probably without telling anybody. And, and, and that person, probably Howard Carter himself, maybe his own hand to that own sledgehammer, who knows, decided that, that it was the live rock. Yeah, it was nothing. It was, it was the, you know, just the wall of the gebel and, or the, the bedrock, if yeah. you like. And so nothing to see here. And Nick Reeves has said, if he was just a couple of okay. inches over, then he would have actually oh, over mm -hmm. this way. Mm -hmm. Then he would have hit the blind. And, and so afterwards he touched up the paint. So he so plastered he over it because he was fighting with the antiquity service. And so he plastered over it and he touched it up with the paint and he touched it up so well that he, and he was an artist, Howard Carter. So he would have known what the hell yeah. he was doing. He was a watercolorist. I mean, this, this guy, yeah. he knew what he was doing. He even matched because when they found this tomb, there were gray spots of mold yeah. all over yeah. the decoration. He even matched those gray yeah. spots with and his it paint. it wasn't until 70s that people right. were right. getty. Um, but so, so that's okay. amazing. And the, thinking that there was a blind isn't totally abnormal because a Cormhead's tomb. Yeah, tell me. Has a blind yeah. that had... You Explain know, to me what the blind is. So a blind is just, you know, they would have put up a wall, mud mm -hmm. brick, covered it with plaster, mm -hmm. um, put a tomb scene over it makes it look like a totally you know a wall mm -hmm. so tomb robbers wouldn't know to so you go, go into the tomb you go down the hallway and then there's a wall there and, and you're like oh that's it that's, that's the it. end this is the end but, of the tomb but you if you break down that wall and as you said mud brick maybe stones maybe there stones, could be stones covered in plaster, plaster and all these things you break that down the tomb goes on yeah. it's a Let's longer tomb try to blind you and then you get yes. the that there was more and then you get to the treasury rooms and you get to the burial chamber and you're like holy shit this is a whole thing yeah. right and the blinds that have been preserved right by the well room mm -hmm. right well room is that deep room that's supposed to catch the robbers and make it difficult to get over behind that is your is your blind um the two that are preserved are seti the first mm -hmm. found by belzoni mm -hmm. and documented yeah I mean, very early. We're talking like 1820s. Yeah. I don't, I don't know the exact date. And um, and Horem Head. Mm -hmm. And those are super useful because then you can say that this tomb, this yeah. Tutankhamun tomb, could Horem indeed, especially because it's very close in time. Yes, exactly, yeah. exactly. Just a few generation or a generation yeah. after, one generation, and um, or same generation because mm -hmm. he's yeah. older. <laughs> anyway, um, but. Um, the working the whole blind into it i mean it's a very elegant argument of nicholas reeves to use art historical information scanning from factu marte architectural information reuse information which you know i'm all jazzed about that's my that's my jam and um and then the scanning gets brought in and the whole thing you know it's the tail wagging the dog and yeah. it's just it becomes no, a giant it's political a disaster yeah super compelling yeah argument yeah so do you think one, do you think there's chambers? And two, do you think there's anything in them? Um, I do think there's chambers. I think there's chambers. I do. I think because it's going to be like open them and then just nothing. I think that if there's anything in them, you know, it's people keep asking me, they'll take me aside. They'll ask a question after a lecture. Mm -hmm. Why don't they just look? Why don't they just drill a hole? Why don't they just look? And I have to try to explain what we already know, which is that when people aren't politically ready to move on something, yeah. they just delay it. Yeah. They just don't. They find reasons not to look at it. And that can be in American politics, whether you're talking about gay marriage and everyone's like, no, no, no. Until all of a sudden everybody moves on it's it. Time. 
and it's time. It's not time for this tomb to be opened yet. For whatever reason, people aren't politically able to touch it. It is a centennial. It is a centennial, <laughs> but it would be a maybe good time. I mean, the opening up the gym, the political, there is no political actor in Egypt right now who can claim it without extraordinary pushback from a political opponent. There is so much political infighting that then people above it are like, you guys back off. We're not talking about it. Mm -hmm. Commission something, make it go away. It's it's, nobody gets it. It's kind of like right before Octavian got Egypt before that point, everyone's flirting with who gets Egypt. Nobody gets Egypt. Egypt's too big. Egypt, we're going to let the Ptolemies rule. They didn't need to let the Ptolemies rule. They could have taken those mofos down in two seconds and taken all of Egypt, but they did not. They kept that Ptolemaic family on the throne because it was too hot and they couldn't decide who got to claim it. And then it happened. And then when it was time, when Octavian was uncontested, powerful enough to take it with unmitigated power, then he's able to walk in and take it. Now, this is this is not, you know, the leadership yeah, of the entire Roman Empire, into, but, but just like break down no, wall, you can't. This is right? some serious shit. That's this is a big deal. Yes, it is. And it's going to blow everything up. And if if there's nothing, it's almost in a way keeping the allure. Yeah, it is. There it is. is good. It is. And if you look and there's nothing, then it's done. And then you just say, oh, Tut's tomb was just rushed. He died and they had to really quickly finish it. And that's it but if there's a void there but if there's something and if there's the option open (laughs) like seriously say all of the treasure has been taken but there's another tomb back there with decoration yeah i'm gonna die that's awesome and then we're gonna learn more about the amarna period and then all of these books need to be rewritten when we Mm -hmm. talk about amarna and what it means there's um a lot of potential here and as far as i know no one has drilled any holes or looked for anything and it's just politically been made to go away and we will revisit it another day. And I think it'll take, uh, I think another 10 years or so. I think, I think people are waiting for people to die. (laughs) And I'll leave that there. We always are waiting for people to die. And I will leave that there. Um, but, um, but if you're interested in about it more, yeah. Reeves has really great, I think, very accessible articles where he, you know, Mm -hmm. very cogently breaks down the argument and goes through all the evidence. um, So you can look into it more to your heart's delight to see all the evidence that he argues um, helps prove his point. Yeah, it's it's um, really well done. And he's one of the best art historians out there. And he really knows his stuff. And he knows this period. Yeah. And and he's working on, um, he told me that he's working on another edition of his Akhenaten, the False oh, Prophet, the Thames and Hudson book. So that's super exciting. And when that comes out, maybe we could get Nick on a Zoom yeah. and do, and, and bring him onto the podcast. Let's see if we can. Um, look at that. We said it before we actually formally invited him. We should ask him first. So we'll do that. But that would be great. That would be awesome. Yeah. yeah. Well, those are our top five things to get Egyptologists in argument about mm-hmm. and um, I'm sure there are many more there are many more many there more some, I was trying to not get too like Egyptological yeah um you know like oh do we call it nice or do we call it granodiorite yeah and things like that a so north was, the site nice yeah um yeah the stone discussion and I were brainstorming yeah. what would be the ones we we're like yeah but like what would like other people care about mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. we just 
stick to topics that other people would know and care about. Yeah. This was fun. I loved it. Yeah. I'm glad I came up with it at four in the morning. Apparently I don't remember doing so, but insomnia. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Apparently, but there's other debates or arguments you want us to touch on, you know, shoot us a message. Yeah. Let us know. Let us know. Um, Otherwise, uh, like and subscribe on your favorite podcasting service. Give us some stars. Give us us some love. Give us, yeah, some love. Um, I don't think that's any other news we have. Yeah, I think that we we started with news. So you're up to date. You're up to date. We're good to go. This is After Lives with Kara Cooney. And thanks for tuning in. Thank you, guys. Bye. Bye. Oh, my hip. Thank you to our listeners for your support and for subscribing wherever you listen. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with others and leave us a five-star review. Send us your questions related to the show and topic suggestions for future episodes to karakuni at gmail.com. You can find the show notes in the podcast section of my website, karakuniegyptologist.com. For that, thank you, Amber Myers-Wells. There you'll also find info on my books and upcoming lectures. While you're there, don't forget to sign up for my newsletter to keep up on the latest news and content from me. Check out the conversations that happen after the podcast mic is turned off by subscribing to our Substack After Lives After Party. You can find me on Facebook at Kara Cooney Egyptologist and on Twitter and Instagram at Kara Cooney. See you next time on After Lives with Kara Cooney.